Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our sermon series from 1 Samuel, A Personal God. We hope that this sermon will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. I want to ask you as we get started, have you ever met somebody and maybe you spent time with them Uh, Maybe, you know, you spent time with them one day and then you're around them the next day and they seem like almost two different people. You ever been around someone like that that you're like, they they weren't like this yesterday or they, I've I've never been around them like this. Uh, I remember a few years ago when we were going through college, I was a bellman at a hotel and at this hotel, we had celebrities that would come in for different things. And I remember one time we had a very well-known, I'm not gonna give you his name, but a very well-known football player uh, that had retired and, and was just, I mean, a Hall of Fame uh, quarterback for years. And um, he came in and he was at our hotel and I was the bellman. And so I'm, I'm the one hosting him, carrying his bags, making sure he needs making sure he got everything he needed. And uh, the management had arranged for him to sign a number of things. And so he signed, I think, 23 items uh, for the hotel management. And so I was in the room, uh, carried his bags up and I'm in his room talking with him and he's signing all these autographs and, and man, we're, we're joking back and forth. He's talking with me. I mean, we, it, it was like we were buds. And and he said, hey, have you ever caught a football from a professional quarterback? And I said, no. And he said, step back a few feet and, and threw a football to me. And he was like, now you've caught a football from so-and-so. And I, I was like, oh, that's cool, thanks. And he signed it and then signed something from my dad. And it was just super cool meeting him. And I thought, man, this guy's a great guy. What a, what a guy, you know? And that whole night, every time he'd walk past the, the bell stand, the bellman stand where I was, uh, he'd say, hey, Dennis, man, thanks. How you doing? You know, and he'd talk with me and remembered my name, and I thought, this is so cool. The next morning was not so cool. The next morning, I had, of course, my shift ended that night at 11, and I worked at 6 the next morning. And I remember I got there at 6 o'clock. And at 6 o'clock, I got to my my stand, and at 6.02, at 6.02, the phone rings. And I answer it, Bellman Service, how can I help you? And I hear, who is this? I said, oh, this is Dennis. And well, this is so-and-so in, in room such-and-such. And it was him. And he said, uh, you were supposed to be up here at 6 a.m. to carry my bags down. And I was like, oh, I, I didn't get that message. I apologize for that, sir. I'll, I'll be right up. And I got up and right when I got to the door, I mean, it was like 6.05. He was, what took you so long? Don't you know I want to get breakfast and I have a flight to get to? And I was I was like, who are you yelling at, you know? And I got his bags and I carried them down. And the rest of that morning, I was listening as he was eating breakfast and in the lobby and people were, oh, look, it's so-and-so and looking. And he was rude to every single person he met. And I I just didn't understand. It was two different people. I was like, this is not the same guy as last night. He is totally opposite. And one of of his friends walked up and said, hey, don't don't mind him. He can be a little rude in the mornings. And I was like, a little? Man, he needs to go back to bed for a few hours, you know? We've all been around somebody that it almost seems like they're polar opposites. Man, that person is just totally different. As we come back to our study in the book of 1 Samuel, we've been going through the series of studying out uh, this book and really an amazing place in scripture, an amazing number of stories for us. And recently, though, we've been studying out David. David. 
David has just been anointed king, although he would not take the throne for at least 10 years, seven to 10 years after he was anointed king. Uh, we know that he's been anointed king and, and David, he was going to be someone, the Bible tells us that he was someone, a man after God's own heart. That's what God said about him. David is one who continually seeks after me. And uh, we found out that that kingship was given to him, uh, anointing was given to him by Samuel. And of all the people, that could be anointed. People would look and think, excuse me, people would look and they'd think, well, uh, and David's not gonna be the next king. Remember God had said Saul's not gonna reign anymore, Saul and his pride. Remember Saul was the first king, but he had, he had allowed pride to enter into his life. And that pride, it ruined his relationship with God because he ended up actually rejecting the presence of God. God wanted to work in his life. God wanted to direct him. But Saul said, no, I, I'm not going to have that. And because of that, God said, okay, Saul, I, I'm not gonna work through you anymore. And so Samuel, the prophet, was instructed then to go and anoint a new king. As Samuel is there getting ready to anoint a new king, he's looking on Jesse's sons, David's brothers, and he's thinking, surely it's Eliab. Surely it's, and he goes through all seven brothers until he finally reaches David. He gets to David, and on the outward looking in, David's unlikely to be king. Oh, surely it's not this guy. Surely it's not this 17, 18-year-old. Surely uh, this shepherd boy, surely he is not the king. And yet we find him being anointed king. Shortly after he's anointed king, we found him uh, building a, a somewhat of a relationship, a friendship with King Saul. Remember, David would come in and play the harp and, and be one that would help Saul when Saul was uh, in a fearful spirit. And then we found David coming to probably the most, one of the most well-known stories in Scripture, the story of David versus Goliath. And we saw David kill this giant. He stood up and said, is there not a cause? And, and came up and defended God's people. But what we discovered last week is that when Goliath fell, that's when David's battles really began. Because David would now face an adversary that would be greater than Goliath. You and I might say, well, who would be greater than a nine foot six, nine, nine foot six inch giant to, to face? Well, the battle that David would face now is the battle versus Saul his very own king, his very own friend. Well, why would David face the battle of Saul, you might ask? Well, it's because Saul, remember, he's, he's led by pride. Really, you can go and do the research from 1 Samuel chapters 8 and 9 all the way to the end of his life, Saul is filled with himself. Because of that pride, we learned last week that Saul lived in insecurity. He was very insecure. And that insecurity drove him to uh, dream up things. Remember the song that they sang? Uh, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. It was just a little folk song. It was, it was all made up. It wasn't true. And, and Saul says, oh my word, they're singing, they're singing this song that David slain ten thousands. What more could he have than the kingdom? And you think, well, how do you get that out of a song, Saul? And yet that was all of his insecurity. And because of that, Saul would chase David trying to kill him. But the one thought that we discovered last week was incredible is that God, before the battle, God put exactly what David needed in his life. What did he, what did he give him? God gave David a friend by the name of Jonathan and a wife by the name of Michael or Michelle. 
And we found last week in 1 Samuel chapter 19 and 20 that Jonathan and Michael would be two that they would come along and comfort David and encourage David and help David. And even before David faced the battle, God put people in his life to help him through his battle. Aren't you thankful that God does that for us? Man, God gives us certain people in our life to encourage us and to help us. And even before we realize we need them in our life, man, we finally come, maybe you come through a struggle or a challenge and you look and you say, man, that person was a special blessing to me. Although sometimes we may go through life and think, well, I faced that one alone. What we discovered that was a great truth last week is that as Jonathan was to David, so is Jesus to us. Remember, Jonathan was that friend that stuck closer than a brother, and Jesus is that friend in your life and my life. And maybe men may forsake you, but Jesus never will. I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. And before the battles, he places in our life the greatest friend of all, Jesus Christ. Well, this morning, as we come back into our study, we're going to actually look in, and we're gonna look again at the life of David. But I'll be honest with you, as we start today, we kind of are gonna have this thought of, is this the same guy? I mean, here we've been following David, a humble man who's seeking God and loving the Lord. But what we're gonna discover today is a totally different guy. Totally different guy making foolish decisions, lying, scheming, manipulating. And we're gonna look at this and go, no, that that can't be David. That can't be David. But then we're gonna see David as we have been seeing him a humble servant of God. But what I want us to discover is what the difference was, and it's right in the middle, and I'm excited about it today. Let's stand, and we're gonna read our passage this morning. 1 Samuel Samuel chapter number 21, but we're gonna go back one verse and start in chapter number 20. 1 Samuel chapter 20, and we're gonna read verse 42, and then go right into chapter 21. 1 Samuel chapter 20. And verse 42, Jonathan said to David, go in peace for as much as we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord saying, the Lord be between me and thee and between my seed and thy seed forever. And he, David, arose and departed. And Jonathan went into the city. This would be into the city of Gibeah. Then came David to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid at the meeting of David and said unto him, why art thou alone? and no man with thee. So David and Jonathan, if you were with us last week, you will remember, they came up uh, with this idea to find out if Saul was still trying to kill David. Certainly he was. As a matter of fact, last week, and we didn't take time to look at it, Saul was not only trying to throw javelins at David, but by the end of the chapter, chapter 20, Saul is throwing javelins at his own son, Jonathan trying to kill his own son, saying, you've, you've sided with David. Man, you're even against me. And so Jonathan and David meet up and they encourage each other in the Lord and they make a promise to each other. And Jonathan says to David, David, when you become king, don't forget my family. Years later, that promise is fulfilled with Mephibosheth, a great message. If you were here a few years ago, but Dan preached about Mephibosheth and, uh, and that uh, adoption into the family. And so that promise would be fulfilled. But now when you look at David and Jonathan, they're saying bye. Jonathan goes his way and David travels to Nob to meet Ahimelech. It's the events that take place from there, chapter 21 to 24, that we're gonna look at today, seeing almost two different people, 
But what we're really gonna discover is what made the difference in the middle. Let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us today. Dear God, we come before you and we pray that this morning that you would speak into our lives. Lord, I pray that as we go through the passage today, that you would help us. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage us and that you would strengthen us. God, that you would give us the message that you want for us to have. Lord, I humble myself to you and I realize, God, that I cannot deliver the word of God adequately except for what your spirit would do through me. And so today I pray, God, that you would speak through me. Lord, help every one of us to be attentive, help us to listen, help us to make a decision based upon how you speak to us. And Lord, if there's someone in service here or watching online that does not know you as their personal savior, I pray that today would be the day they put their faith and their trust in you. We love you, Lord. Pray that you bless our time. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You go ahead and be seated. As we look into the life of David this morning, as we come to 1 Samuel chapter number 21, I want us to discover what I'm calling a disgraceful man. Chapter 21 in David's life is really a disgraceful time in David's life. He is one making absolute uh, foolish choices. And I want you to see those with me this morning. As I said a moment ago, up until 1 Samuel 21, we haven't seen much negative in the life of David. If you go and you do some research up until 1 Samuel 21, uh, we would say, man, David was a good guy. David was honest. David was humble. And we went through those characteristics a few weeks ago. And really, we, we haven't seen a lot except for that David is a man after God's own heart. But we have to know this morning that David, he wasn't perfect. He wasn't perfect. And one man said it this way, the best of men are men at best. The best of men are men at best. What's that mean? Well, even the best of men have flaws. They have sin. As a matter of fact, there are times in David's life that we would be, and today is one of them, we would be and are going to be surprised. That's David? That's, that's, that's David, the mighty king, the mighty Goliath slayer? That's David, the one who was a man after God's own heart? And there are times that really today's not even the last of them, times that we will look into David's life and be bewildered saying, wow, he said that. Wow, he did that. Wow, he thought that David struggled with that. But there's something to think about when you look at what's recorded for us. And that's this, that when God recorded his word, he recorded for us the faults, the hurts, and the doubts of many people. And we should be thankful he did. Do you know Why? because it gives us hope. Because I don't know about you, but I'm not perfect. Well, actually, I do know about you. You're not perfect either. None of us are perfect. And so you know what? When we look in Scripture and we see something like we're going to read today, and we look at David, we'd say, wow, he wasn't perfect. It helps us go, wow, man, if God can still use David, he can still use me. And as a matter of fact, that's what the Bible's written for, written for in, in our lives. Romans chapter four, 15, verse number four, it says this, for what, whatsoever things were written aforetime, they were written for our learning. Why? That we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have, what's the word? Hope. Man, I have a confident expectation that if God can work in David's life, God can work in my life. Well, what does God record for us today? Well, this surprising time in David's life, we discover what takes place. David would leave a place called Gibeah, and he would go to the town of Nob. Now, the map is going to be a little small. We'll be on and off of this today, but you can look uh, to the top of that, the north central area of, of Israel. Excuse me. This would be the southern region down by the Red Sea, but 
north central for our picture today, you can see Gibeah. David would have been in Gibeah or Ramah, which would be right north of there. And what we find him doing today is traveling to Nob. Well, what takes place when he goes to Nob? He's met by Ahimelech, the priest. Nob would be that uh, a priestly town. It would be where many of the priests lived and would operate out of. It really, that's what it would be known for. So David would be going to this town and we might look at this and think, wow, David's making a smart move. I mean, he's going to the man of God. I mean, he's, he's going to the priest's town. Maybe, maybe David's doing something right, but what we discover is that's not what took place. Notice with me verse one and two of chapter 24. Then came David to Nob to Ahimelech the priest and Ahimelech was afraid at the meeting of David and said unto him, why art thou alone and no man with thee? And notice what David says, verse number two. And David said unto Ahimelech the priest, the king hath commanded me a business and hath said unto me, let no man know anything of the business whereabout I send thee and what I have commanded thee and I have appointed my servants to such and such a place. Question, was that the truth? No, that wasn't the truth. Saul had not sent him on an errand. Saul had not told him any of those words. And yet we find this is David, a man after God's own heart. And what's he doing? He's lying to the priest. The priest, Ahimelech, says, what are you doing here alone? And David says, oh, oh, Saul sent me on a, a special errand. I'm on a secret mission, and I'm coming out, and, and uh, I'm here. Don't tell anybody. We're going to discover the lies don't stop there. He continues lying to, to get food, and we won't read all of the passages this morning for time's sake, but you can go and, and read 1 Samuel 21. David lies in order to get food, the food that would be set aside for the priests. David lies in order to get that, and then the, the, the story continues. Notice verse number eight of our passage. It says, And David said unto Himelech, And is there not here under thine hand spear or sword? For I have neither brought my sword nor my weapons with me because the king's business requires haste. All right, David, uh, David's lying again. The king's business requires haste. Hey, I'm, I'm doing this special errand for the king, but I want you to notice, and let's think about this. We're just gonna connect some dots. David's asking for a sword and a spear. Well, well that doesn't sound like the David of 1 Samuel 17. Say, what are you talking about, pastor? Well, Here's 1 Samuel 17. Let me, let me remind us. 1 Samuel 17, then said David to the Philistine Goliath, thou comest to me with a sword and a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. You see, there was at one point that David was saying, hey, I don't need a sword and a spear to face my enemies because I've got the Lord with me. And if the Lord gives me a sword and a spear to, to fight with, which God did at certain times, then David would have fought with it, but at right now he's facing Saul and he's taking matters into his own hands and he's trying now to manipulate the situation so that he can get a weapon in his hand. You say, well, is there anything wrong with David doing his own, having some defense? No, but God never instructed anything that we're reading in 1 Samuel 21. What does Ahimelech say to him? Ahimelech says to him, oh, you know what? There is a sword here. It's Goliath's sword. I don't think that's just coincidence. Right then, a light bulb should have gone on. And David go, Goliath's sword. It didn't work out too well for him. Maybe I don't need that one. But he doesn't. David says, well, give it to me. Takes the sword. 
Well, when you look in the middle of all of this, there's someone who sees it. Verse seven tells us that somebody is watching. Notice who it is. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chiefest of the herdmen that belonged to Saul. Doeg, 1 Samuel 21, seven, he's watching all of this take place. Doeg sees this. He sees David running. He sees David lying to Ahimelech. He sees David being deceitful and David's trying to manipulate the situation. He's relying on his own thinking and his own strength. And I want you to notice where it gets David. 1 Samuel 21, 10. David arose and he fled that day for fear of Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Now this is really mind-blowing. Here's mind-blowing. Why? Because the king of Gath, you know who Achish was, the king of Gath? Uh, do you know where Goliath was from? Gath. He goes to the king of the Philistines, David. Verse 10 says he's running in fear. His lying, his scheming, his manipulating, his trying to arrange things according to his plan, it didn't help him at all. He's still running in fear. And now he's going to the side of the enemy. He's almost seeking asylum, saying, hey, I'm coming to your side. You'll read the verses that he goes in before the king Achish, and as he's there, he actually goes into the king's presence, and then some of the servants, they're like, well, what is David doing here? Isn't he the one who took out Goliath? Why are we letting him here? And David kind of saw, okay, things aren't working out very well. And the Bible tells us in verses 11 through 15, I think, that it's, let me look and confirm the verses. Yeah, verse 11 through 15, they look and, and uh, the, the servants are like, what's David doing? And David realizes things aren't gonna work out so well. And so he begins to act as a madman and letting the spittle run down. He starts drooling on himself and spitting on himself and acting the part of a madman. And King Achish is like, what are you guys doing bringing me a madman? Release him, let him out. And so David gets out and he runs again. Here he is running from Gibeah to Nob, Nob to Gath, and he's manipulating, he's scheming. Now he's abandoning the people of God, and then he pretends to be a bad man, a, a madman. So here's David. What's he doing? He's, he's making some foolish choices. Now, I wish we had time really to go through and, and look at all of these things, but he's, he's just lying He's scheming. He's trying to find some human method to take care of himself. This is David. I mean, this is the David that had seen God work, that had seen God deliver him, and now he's making foolish choices. He's not trusting God. Instead, he's trying to manipulate the situation so that he would be in control. Isn't it interesting, though, that all of us can do this? Every one of us, we can resort to our own methodologies and our own scheming. And when things aren't working out like we think they should, we too can lean towards a little bit of white lies. We can lean towards a little, which by the way, there are no white lies. A lie is a lie. But we can lean toward manipulating things and making it fit our narrative rather than following the spirit of the Lord. That's where David is. But what David didn't realize is that his decisions, listen, his decisions did not just affect him. If you were to go to 1 Samuel chapter number 22, we do not have time to do it. I'm just gonna tell you about it. Saul finds out from Doeg 
that David went to Ahimelech in Nob. And Saul goes to Ahimelech, blindsides Ahimelech, says, why are you helping David? Ahimelech tells him the truth. Hey, he came and told me it was about your business. And he came and, and he lied to me. I, I've been schemed, I've been manipulated in this. And what do we find taking place? Saul says, I don't care. Kills Ahimelech, his family, 85 priests in Nob, and all the men, women, and children. Just annihilates this town because of David's lie. David's decision didn't just affect him. Can I tell you that your decisions and my decisions to take matter into our own hands, it doesn't just affect us. Our, our choices, whether good or bad, have good or bad consequences. So David makes this choice and it affects the whole town of Nob. The repercussions are long lasting and David, at the end of chapter number 22, he actually feels this and he finds out what takes place and realizes this is on me. Well, David, he would leave King Achish and he would go to the cave Adullam. A cave of Dulam. This would just be in the central region of the Judah area. And I want you to notice what takes place there in Adullam. The Bible says this in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Dulam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And everyone that was in distress, everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him. And he became captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. That's a pretty interesting uh, statement, isn't it? Man, David, he goes to the cave of Dulam, and who joins him? Well, all of those who were in distress, everybody who was in debt, and everybody who was discontented. This sounds like a motley crew, doesn't it? I mean, all, really, all the people with troubles come to David, and David begins to become their leader. <clears throat> so here's this man, David. He's lied, he's schemed, he's manipulated. Now he's in a cave with everybody who's in distress, debt, and discontentment. I don't know about you, but this doesn't sound like the David that we read about in 1 Samuel 17, does it? But what you find when you come to 1 Samuel chapters 23 and 24, really a little part of 22, we find David as a different man. Chapter 21, he's a disgraceful man. Chapters 22, 23, and 24, he's a different man. Well, what's the difference? I want you to notice what takes place. First of all, I find David living with what I call dependence upon God. After he comes out of the cave, 1 Samuel chapters number 23, or 22, verses uh, 3 through 5. 1 Samuel 22, 3 through 5. The screen says 23, but it's chapter 22. Notice what it says. And David went thence to Mizpah of Moab. And he said unto the king of Moab, let my father, my mother, I pray thee, come forth and be with you till I know what God will do for me. And he brought them before the king of Moab and they dealt, dwelt, or dwelt with him, the king of Moab, all the while that David was in the hold and the prophet Gad said to David, abide not in the hold, depart and get thee into the land of Judah. Then David departed and came to the forest of Hereth. What I see here is now David, after he comes out of the cave of Adullam, David having dependence upon God. Pastor, where do you see dependence upon God? 
David would go from Adullam, he would go over the Dead Sea to Moab, which would be on the east side of the Dead Sea. Over there, he would go to the king of Moab and say, hey, will you keep my family? Okay, this is kind of wisdom on David's part. Keep my family because Saul's after me and my family's in danger. Will you keep my family? But I want you to notice what he says at the end of verse number three when he says, until I find out what God will do for me. And then David goes into the hold. What does he do? He gets alone with God. He's already been alone with God in the cave of Adullam. We'll see that in a minute. Now David gets alone with God in Moab. We know David prayed. We know he sought God. Why? Because God sends an answer through the prophet Gad. Gad comes to David and says, all right, David, God has some instruction for you now. Get up out of the land of Moab and go back into Judah. What is David doing right here? David is showing dependence upon God. That's a different David than what we saw in chapter 21, isn't it? Man, in chapter 21, he's scheming, conniving, manipulating, lying. Chapter 22, he's now getting alone with God, seeking God, hearing from God. He has dependence upon God. I see his dependence upon God also in chapter 23, verse one through four. We will not read it for time's sake, but what takes place is the men of a little town in in Judah called Kilah, they come to David and they say, hey, the Philistines have come against us. Would you defend us? And David goes to God again. Go read it, 1 Samuel 23. He goes to God, says, God, should I go defend the men of Kilah? And God says, go. David turns around and says to his men, hey, we're gonna go and fight for Kilah. And they say, we don't want to. We're fearful, we're afraid. Go to God again. And David prays and goes to God again. And God says, go, surely I will give you victory in Kilah. And David obeys God. What do I see in chapter 22 and 23? I see David, he's a different man than what we find in verse 21. Why? Because now he's living with dependence upon God. Not only do I see him living with dependence upon God, but in chapters number 24, I see him living with, del- uh, with uh, delighting in mercy. I see David having dependence upon God. I see him delighting in mercy. You say, pastor, you're going too fast. That's all right. We're about to speed up. Stay with me. <laughs> what takes place in chapter 24? Chapter 24, we find that David, he goes from Adullam. He flees at the end of chapter 23. He goes to Ziph and to uh, Maon. Saul's chasing him all that time. And then David ends up in En Gedi. I love En Gedi. If you've been with us to Israel, then you've been to En Gedi. If you haven't, you need to go with us sometime. But here's what takes place in En Gedi. Notice, if you will, 1 Samuel 24, verse one through five. And it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines that it was told him saying, behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheep coats, by the way, where was a cave. And Saul went in to cover his feet and David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. And the men of David said unto him, behold, the day of which the Lord said unto thee, behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. Then David arose and cut off of the skirt of Saul's robe privily or privately. And it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. 
What happens? Well, David gets to this area of Engedi. This is a spring of Engedi that David and his men would have been around. And this area of Engedi is just filled with caves all over. You can go and you can hike up into Engedi to the springs. I did that this last year and just an incredible hike. But as you're going, there's, there's just caves everywhere. Well, here in Engedi, David and his men, they're hiding within a cave. And the Bible tells us that Saul and his men, they seek David, they come to Engedi. And it says that Saul goes into a cave to cover his feet. Now, I'm not gonna get into it this morning, but to cover his feet, oftentimes in scripture, it just means to go and relieve himself. That's what he's gonna do. He's just gonna go inside of a cave and use the restroom. Don't tell me the Bible doesn't have a little sense of humor in it. So what, is, what does Saul do? Saul goes in and he takes off his outer coat. He takes off his outer robe, sets it down, and then he would go back a few feet further, maybe 10 yards, 15 yards or so, and take care of what he needs to do. Well, he doesn't realize that in the sides of the cave, this is a cave that when it says the sides of the cave, it's not talking that they're like, hunkered up against the walls of the cave. They're actually in the different little caverns and things that would be in there. That the men go, hey, David, Saul, God has delivered him into your hand. I mean, what what better time? He's defenseless. Saul, he can't, David, he can't do anything. Go take him out now. And Saul goes and he goes to that outer robe that, or David goes to the outer robe that Saul had taken off. And he cuts a piece of that off. And then goes back into that uh, cavern, the part of the cave that he was in. What takes place next is very interesting. Saul, of course, he comes out. All my notes just went. That means the sermon's gonna be a lot shorter. <laughs> Saul goes out and he gets to 1 Samuel chapter number, look with me, 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 12 through 15. Notice what it says. The Lord, this is David now speaking to Saul. Saul comes out and David comes out and says, hey, God delivered you into my hand. Look, I've got part of your robe. I could have taken you out. And his speech continues. The Lord judged between me and thee and the Lord avenged me of thee, but my hand shall not be upon thee. As said the, saith the proverb of the ancients, wickedness proceedeth from the wicked, but my hand shall not be upon thee. After whom is the king of Israel come out? Hey, why are you chasing me? After whom dost thou pursue? After a, a dead dog? After a flea? Saul, I am nothing to you. Why are you pursuing me? The Lord, therefore, be judge and judge between me and thee and see and plead my cause and deliver me out of thine hand. What does David do? David shows mercy. David, in this moment, he was tempted to take the situation into his own hand. He was uh, tempted to have the satisfaction of revenge and tempted with this seemingly perfect opportunity. And yet, what does he do? He passes on it. Why does he pass on it? Because his heart was smote. You know what that phrase means? We would use the term, his heart was convicted. David was in a moment of conviction saying, man, I shouldn't have even cut off part of his robe. This is God's man. It is, it's not my job to take him out. And he says to Saul, Saul, you will be judged and I will be judged, but it's gonna be done by God. Later, he's gonna tell Saul, Saul, listen, you're gonna die by the hand of God 
the hand of the enemy or the hand of someone else, not my hand. I am not against you. He's delighting in mercy. That sounds like a different person, doesn't it? That sounds like a different person from verse chapter 21. Well, what made the difference? What made the difference? As we close today, I want to show you this. There's a defining moment in David's life from chapters 21 to 24. The defining moments are the moments in the cave of Dulam and the moments in the hold, the cave in Moab. You say, Pastor, why are these defining moments? Because it was in these moments that David got alone with God. You say, Pastor, how do we know that David got alone with God? I'm really glad you asked. Take your Bible, if you would, and I want you to find three places. Psalm 34, Psalm 56, and Psalm 57. Psalm 34, Psalm 56, and Psalm 57. We're not going to read all of these psalms. I'm just going to refer to verses that you can maybe mark or circle or write down. And I would encourage you to go back and, and research all of this. But we say, Pastor, what, what happened? And we look at this and we say, David, what, what took place in those caves, in the cave of Dulam when you had just left Achish and, and you just left Gath? What took place there? And David, when you were in Moab and you went into the hold, what took place there? Psalm 34, Psalm 56, and Psalm 57. You say, Pastor, what are these psalms? All of these psalms were written during this period of David's life. They were all written between Gath and Moab. They were all written between Gath and when David ended up in the hold and left the hold in Moab. All of these Psalms, amazing places in scripture. These Psalms, they were written by David during this time. And we discover through these Psalms that the defining, listen, the defining moment, the turning point for David in his life, at this time of his life, from going from somebody who is manipulating and lying and scheming to somebody who is depending upon God and delighting in mercy and now showing kindness to his enemies, the defining moment was this time. It was during this time that David learned four things. Very quickly, four things David learned. What did he learn? Number one, David learned fear God, not man. David learned fear God, not man. Where do we see this? Psalm 56, verses one through four, and Psalm 34, verses four through seven. Psalm 56, verses one through four, and Psalm 34, verses four through seven. Let me read you Psalm 34, four through seven. Here's what David said. I sought the Lord, and he heard me. He delivered me from all my fears, they looked unto him and they were enlightened and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. You know what David learned in the, in the cavern, what David learned in the hold at, at, at Dulam and in the hold in, in uh, uh, Moab, what David learned was I need to have a reverence for God, not a fear of man. You see, what was driving David in chapter 21, what was driving him was, man, what is Saul going to do to me? I've got to run. I've got to lie. I've got to manipulate. I've got to scheme because Saul is out for me. But what does David learn? David learns, listen, I don't need to be led by a fear of man. I need to be instead led by a reverence for God. 
doing what I do with a high respect for God. David's heart was, God, I reverence you and your plan more than I fear man. Four lessons David learned. Number one, fear man, not God. Reverence man, or excuse me, <laughs> fear God, not man. I've seen if you caught me, see if you're listening. Reverence God, don't fear man. Lesson number two, lesson number two, trust God, not me. Lesson number two, trust God, not me. Where do we find this? Psalm 56, verses three through nine, verse 11, and Psalm 34, verse number eight. Notice Psalm 34, verse number eight. David says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. In these passages, Psalm 56, verses three through 11, or three through nine and verse 11, and Psalm 34, verse eight. In these passages, we find David pointing to the fact that trusting in the Lord is truly what sustains the follower of God. In Psalm 56, David says, I can trust in God because I can know that God is for me. I know that he's for me. He is working a plan in my life. In chapter 21 of 1 Samuel, David is frantically trying to trust in his methodology. David is lying and scheming and trusting in the sword and how can I get out of this? But in chapter 22 and 23 and 24, David is showing dependence, trust in God. Where did David learn that? He learned that in his alone time with the Lord. He learned that in that cavern time, the cave time, the time in Adullam and the time in the hold in Moab. David learned, fear God, not man. Trust God, not me. Man, I was trusting in myself. I was trusting in how I could handle the situation. But if you read Psalm 34, 56, and 57, you find David saying, but God, I learned, I can't trust me, I trust you. Fear God, trust God. Number three, seek God. David learned, I need to seek God, not my own plans and my own intentions. I need to seek God. We find this in Psalm 34, verses 10 through 22. If you look at Psalm 34, verse number 11, here's what David says. Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I wanna teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. We don't have time to do it. If you were here last Sunday night, we were in 1 Peter chapter number three. Peter quotes from these verses. We'll see them again briefly tonight. But what David is saying in these verses is I learned to seek God and not my own agenda. Verse 13 is the opposite of lying, scheming, and manipulating. Verse 13, keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Hey, I tried to lie, manipulate, and scheme. That's not God's way. Verse number 14, my plan was evil for evil, but that's not God's way. Instead, I should seek peace and pursue it. David, he had learned so much but he had learned, fear God, trust God, 
seek God. Before we move on to this, look at verse number 18, where David says this, the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. You know, this is David saying, hey, get over you and put him back on the throne. Hey, quit trying to manipulate and maniacally arrange things so that you can be in control. God blesses a broken and a contrite heart. Four things David learned in those caves. Number one, fear God. Number two, trust God. Number three, seek God. Number four, lastly today, praise God. Psalm 57. We're not gonna turn there, but Psalm 57. I believe Psalm 57 is the psalm that was written last out of all of these. And Psalm 57 is truly a psalm of praise. David's going through trials, but in this psalm, David is saying, hey, listen, I want you to know that I learned I need to praise God. David says in all of this, I was reminded, praise God. My trials may be hard, but I can praise God. Why? Because he's in control. I can praise him because he's my refuge. I can praise him because he meets my needs. I can praise him because he sees my heart. And I can praise him because he is a merciful and good God to me, no matter, no matter how I am to him. We find out from Psalm, 50, Psalm 34, 56, and 57 that David, he spent some time with God and God got a hold of his heart and David made some decisions. I'm gonna fear God. I'm gonna trust God, seek God, and praise God. This morning we're gonna go, but before we do, I wanna give you two thoughts. Number one, your decisions affect more than just you. Your decisions affect more than just you. I want us to be reminded that our decisions affect the lives of our families. David's decisions didn't just affect him, they affected the entire town of Nob. With this being Father's Day, I wanna encourage you dads for just a second, your decisions as a father, as a husband, they affect more than just you. They affect your spouse and your kids and your grandkids and For those of you who are not dads, your decisions affect the lives of people around you. David made some foolish decisions. So instead of us trotting down that road and making the same foolish decisions that David made of lying, scheming, and manipulating, maybe today we'd make a decision that says, God, this week, this week, I want my decisions to have good repercussions. But that's gonna be dependent on me making good decisions. Your decisions don't just affect you. And so with that in mind, I wanna encourage you this. Learn what David learned. This week, don't operate based upon what others are thinking about. Operate with a reverence for God. This week, don't trust your own thinking to overcome and to move forward and to uh, conquer the challenges of this week. No, trust God. This week, don't seek your agenda. Seek God. This week, don't praise the lie for the accomplishments that you may have. Instead, let's step back and let's praise God. You see, because one of the biggest differences in foolish decisions and right decisions is gonna be your cave time with God. You know what God wants from you and I? He wants every one of us to have some cave time with him every day. The difference in you being a child of God that walks with God is the time you spend with God. 
If you look back over your life, some of the most foolish days that you lived or that I've lived were days we didn't spend with the Lord. They were days that we didn't fear him and trust him and seek him and praise him. They were days that we were all about us. David was two different men. What made the difference? His cave time. I wanna encourage you this week, every morning, have some cave time with the Lord. This week, let David's lessons direct your decisions. But this morning, the last thing I'd say is this. Maybe you're here and you don't know that heaven is where you'd spend eternity. I wanna ask you, do you know Jesus Christ as your savior? You see, you can't have cave time with the Lord if you don't know the Lord. I wanna ask you, if you died today, are you 100% sure that you would go to heaven? Do you know that your sins are forgiven? If you don't know that, today needs to be the day that you put your faith and your trust in him, asking Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin, to come into your life and to save you. I'd like to have every head bowed and every eye closed. Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. We're gonna have a time of invitation. We can respond and allow the Lord to help us during this time. But maybe you would look at your life and you'd say, you know what? I have not been making the right decisions. I haven't been fearing God and trusting him. I haven't been seeking him. I haven't been praising him. Maybe the decision you need to make today is God help me. Help me to understand that my decisions have repercussions. And God help me this week to fear you, to trust you, to seek you and to praise you. But maybe you're here this morning and again, you don't know Christ as your savior. Right now, right now you could put your faith and trust in him simply asking him to forgive you of your sin and to be your savior, putting your faith and trust in him. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.